Can a career spent overcoming supply chain challenges in difficult places prepare one for the disruptions we're experiencing in the U.S. today? Hi, everybody. I'm Bob Bowman, Editor-in-Chief of Supply Chain Brain, and this is the Supply Chain Brain Podcast. Ron Cruz has spent more than 20 years creating critical supply chains in some of the world's toughest environments, with a particular emphasis on the delivery of life-saving medicines. As founder and CEO of Logenex International, he helped get supplies into Sierra Leone during the Ebola crisis, set up a healthcare infrastructure to South Sudan during that country's civil war, and shipped more than 12 billion doses of HIV medicine into Yemen. So it's no surprise that he has advice for companies about how to maintain supply chains in less tumultuous regions. Here in the U.S., for instance, we could use some of that experience in coping with supply chain disruptions caused by the COVID-19 pandemic. Today, we'll talk about lessons learned from areas in crisis and how to overcome roadblocks caused by some crises of our own. Here's my conversation with Ron Cruz. Ron Cruz, welcome to the show. Thank you, Bob. Looking forward to chatting with you. I want to talk to you about some of the key lessons that you've learned over your career about setting up critical strategic supply chains. And you have certainly been in some critical situations that more so than most to gain an understanding of what it takes. But just in a broad sense, before we delve down into some of the specific instances, what are some of the big mega macro lessons that you've come away from in your experience? In any given year, we'll deal in 101 different countries, developing countries, delivering supplies from 35 other industrial countries or developed countries. So culture is a huge thing. You've got to be very aware, cognizant of culture. You've got to be able to work within other cultures. As I always think and I tell all my staff, or at least the American staff, to be very careful of trying to overlay American thinking. <laughs> mm-hmm. And secondarily, because we go to so many places and because even in a non-COVID year, you've got political issues, you've got civil strife, you've got like what happened in the DRC earlier this year, you've got volcanoes, which may make an entire part of the country unapproachable. So intelligence gathering and you would think it's kind of an odd way to look at it for a logistics firm. But we are gathering intelligence on a minute-by-minute basis all day long and then also trying to move it around the organization to make sure that everybody knows that, for instance, right now South Africa is kind of on a slow burn. We've got a pretty large trucking operation that we run in South Africa. And, and I'm probably behind on it today, <laughs> meaning in, in mm. terms of whatever the, the, the most up-to-date information is. Things change fast, right? Well, particularly when you've got riots and you've got intersection in entire parts of town and highways being cut off due to riots and you've got trucks with millions of dollars worth of product on it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you say culture, and of course that is important, but overlaid 
over the culture aspect is the fact that a lot of these hotspots you've been in had geopolitical tensions and strife and civil war and, as you say, uh, protests and the like. How do you prepare yourself to enter a country where that is happening, where you're in a great deal of danger, as well as there's this great need to get your stuff to destination as quickly as possible? From a cultural standpoint, you've got to recruit and make sure that you've got very good local partners. And I'll give Iraq as an example. There, I, I've never operated anywhere that was as dangerous as Iraq. To find very good local partners and, and do very thorough planning, we, we basically jump-started uh, Iraq's medical infrastructure, medical and medicine infrastructure after Saddam Hussein. And uh, we did most of this during the insurgency and the, the surge and all of those kind of war-torn times in, in the middle of the 2004, 5, 6. And so without that guidance from all sorts of things, how to deal in, in certain provinces, who to hire, what the best routes would be. I mean, all of these types of things in terms of making deliveries were, were critical. And that goes where they're operating there. You're operating someplace like the Democratic Republic of the Congo or Myanmar, or it's axiomatic for everywhere you want to operate. You've got to have good local partners. You've got to plan, and you've got to understand what might happen. They'll hold the old axiom, hope for the best, plan for the worst. But as, as a crisis erupts, and they generally, by definition, erupt suddenly, you may not have time to do extensive homework and preparation before you have to go into that country and deliver the critical supplies. So what do you do then? How do you get up to speed so quickly and get a knowledge of the territory when you haven't had that much time? Well, that's when past experience really kicks in. So what do I know right now and what can I do? What's the safest thing to do? What is the most prudent thing to do? What will make sure that I either don't lose cargo or run into a whole bunch of costs. And depending on where you are, if you kind of operate by that, maybe you hunker down, you find a local warehouse, you, you offload. Maybe you stay in the port. Maybe you've got a shipment en route and you just hold it. That's when actually training. So a lot of what we do and the way we train is very different. And we kind of, we've got a 24-7 control tower. Mm-hmm. And hopefully we would be ahead of that somewhere in the control tower finding out about it, being able to make a move that was prudent at the time. My senior staff has been together for over 25 years. We go back to operating in the post-Soviet era in Russia, Ukraine, Tajikistan, Kazakhstan, etc. So we've kind of seen and done a lot of this. You add Iraq and Afghanistan to that, so this whole senior leadership that kind of operates around the various nine time zones that we operate corporately across are going to right. be able to make a pretty good decision. Let's face it, something like that, you can be flying by the seat of your pants and all you've got to go on is experience. So on one hand, you've got this seasoned staff. On the other hand, you talk about the importance of getting good people on the ground locally as well. To what extent in these situations are you relying on nationals as opposed to expats and your staff that you're kind of parachuting in, so to speak? How do you balance that, and where do you put the emphasis? We spend a lot of time, and of course, I spent most of my 30s and 40s breaking bread with people all over the world so that I get to know them. So when things like this happen, (laughs) you've got a relationship and you've got a trust factor. Because to be honest, you're very much relying on the, the intel and the recommendations that are coming from the spot, wherever the issue is occurring. So you've got to have faith. You've got to 
be able to kind of have a back and forth and you've got to have somebody that can kind of execute on your behalf, no matter where it might be. You're really relying on it. And if you haven't done the work to make sure that you've got a good organizational relationship or personal relationship, which is what it comes down to a lot, then you're on less solid ground. You must face a constant series of frustrations and setbacks as you attempt to get this job done in various parts of the world. What emerges, what types of obstacles emerge as the biggest blocks to your getting your job done? Can you generalize the things you can expect that pop up most often? Well, it's always the unexpected. Customs is an ongoing issue. Customs in the developing world can be kind of capricious. That's pretty much ongoing. During COVID, it's, I mean, that's a whole different situation. But non-COVID, you're really kind of looking at it's an air freight shipment and a large one, the airline break up your cargo, and now is it being piecemealed in somewhere? Did the vendor the supplier give you the proper documents. The document's wrong. And if the documents are wrong, you're starting all over again because you will have customs issues. Rainy season. Once the rainy season starts across Africa, anything can happen. Roads can be flooded and they can flood literally in a matter of hours. So you can be on the way. I've, or earlier this spring, what is essentially, I'm not sure what part of the country you're in, Bob, but if I-95 or I-5 or I-80, whatever is I-80 to uh, the long way in Malawi. Uh, it is like a huge sinkhole happened in the middle of it. So mm-hmm. if you can imagine a picture where the road is at one level and then about 25 feet down is the next section. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. So what do you do? The intelligence comes in. You've got to be able, you've got shipments en route. And literally we had a truck at the spot within an hour of when that happened. So a workaround is established, another route, or the road is repaired with some sort of makeshift bridge, and and you move on. But the complexity of your effort in some cases, it it just must be astounding. I mean, you go into South Sudan during a civil war, and you're creating Mm -hmm. a health infrastructure. That sounds like a huge task. Where do you even begin, other than getting the right people in line? What is the first step that you took in that particular instance in order to set up an infrastructure for healthcare. Ooh, well, we had to. The first step was re- there was no temperature control warehousing in the entire country, so we had to build it. So that had its own frustration. So everything had to be imported and cleared through customs, and laborers had to be hired. We had to basically do a leasehold improvement on about 3,000 square meters or 30,000 square feet to adequately house what we needed to distribute. So that was done. And then the product starts coming in, and the product is actually not packaged properly or coming in in the right sequencing. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So now we've got sequencing issues in the warehouse, and we can't actually do the product kitting. We were supplying about 80 different uh, hospitals and dispensaries in South Sudan, probably a quarter of which had civil strife occurring on a regular basis. And... The other half on the Western sector had floods. So all of it had to do with planning. What could we distribute now? Who do we need to get to? When could we get to them? What are the best ways? So planning, planning, replanning, because half the plans you made today are now two or three days later now no good for that area. (laughs) So now you're (laughs) replanned. 
a lot of the things that you've experienced in other countries are inconceivable to we uh, domestic Americans, at least until COVID-19 came along, and suddenly we were faced with our own health care crisis and own distribution mm-hmm. requirements. Were you able to apply any of the lessons you learned, or did we learn new lessons from the situation here in this country, and also, for that matter, uh, getting the COVID-19 vaccines elsewhere to other countries as well? What we found is, is that, and we had to deal with it corporately, of course, everything was shutting down. Yeah. What we found is this intelligence gathering, because it was literally day by day everywhere in the world, borders were closing, towns were closing, customs was not going to be available, all sorts of things were happening, and it would happen with no warning, it would happen, literally you go to bed on a Monday night, Tuesday morning, you wake up and you find 10 countries are now closed. So intelligence gathering became such an important thing that we found we had to have our staff in here, so we had to completely re-outfit our offices plastic shielding everywhere. Everybody was masking. We spread out as much, and we also staggered so that fewer people were in here all the time. And we, you know, we lengthened the hours, but we had to trade the information. The moment you write it down, we found it's old. (laughs) Hmm. So there had to be kind of a real-life spontaneous trading of information during the day. So that's how we set up, and that's how we maintain through COVID. And I have to say, I, I, that was one of the smartest things that we did, because our outreach was continual. And amazingly, and of course, going into COVID was word to death, but we were able to grow uh, on an 83% basis year over year because of the degree of failure that was out there in the rest of the logistics world. Based on your experience, what would you recommend going forward with regard to future type of disruptions like another pandemic? Do you think it's important to establish domestic bases of supply of critical supplies? Here in the U.S., sure. I mean, that's that's certainly what I think we found out with uh, PPE, wasn't it? We didn't have enough domestic supplies, PPE, or did we didn't have some sort of like storage capacity, emergency storage capacity for for PPE? I mean, Bob, I think we found out a lot about healthcare that the world was not ready for anywhere. So let's let's hope those lessons were certainly learned from a pandemic standpoint, but. Also, what we found out, and from the standpoint of where you and I kind of butter our bread, what we found out is how quickly supply chains get disrupted and what that disruption in the supply chain can mean to everybody everywhere. I mean, you look at what happened with toilet paper at the beginning of the epidemic, and it continues through to this day. You look at the, as you look at global news, and what's, we have an awful lot of product coming out of China. And China's experiencing another surge, and we had the evergreen issue in the Suez, and now we've got a new COVID outbreak in the south of China, which is where an awful lot of the manufacturing from China makes its way out of the country uh, through Gangzhou and Shenzhen and, and the ports in that area, Yantian. And now we've got this huge disruption happening there, which is going to trickle through here to the States in just about in every imaginable way. So I don't know how we secure – people have asked me, how do, you, how do we secure supply chains? The real problem is everybody has to – then the, the steamship lines, the airlines, all have to protect the bottom line. They, they can't operate empty. And they can't do that very often. They've got to pull vessels, pull aircraft. And, of course, what we're seeing now with, like, the travel surge here in the U.S., now they, fly, they furlough too many pilots. There's not enough pilots. And now with travel coming back, there's not enough seats. <laughs> so 
I don't know that there's an answer. People have asked me that. From a health standpoint, the answer is probably to be a little bit further ahead of the curve from a health standpoint. But there are lots of other ways that supply chain disruptions could happen. When you think of cost efficiency and everything else, it's hard to come up and pin one or two things that could be done to prevent it. Mm-hmm. Or at least be ready for it. Otherwise, you know, as I say, in terms of having some domestic stocks around, a strategic reserve of key supplies, maybe, stuff like that? When it comes to what could be, for instance, like with PPE, so much of the world depends on commercial manufacturer, kind of like with what happened with the poultry and, and meat production plants in the upper Midwest. You can declare certain companies emergency or essential, and that helps unless everyone gets sick. So if no, nobody can work, it's hard to blame any organization or the failure to foresight. Yeah. You've got to come down with this list, and everybody would be perhaps lobbying as to, well, what are the most important or critical items? That could become a never-ending merry-go-round of thoughts and ideas. Hard to get that right. In your experience right. and the work you've done around the world, do you believe that governments help or hinder? Many governments help, many governments hinder. <laughs> I had a feeling you are going to say that. <laughs> Both, Bob. And you can see it in most of the news. And government sometimes in some countries would be a strong thing. For instance, in Mali this year, we're constantly, we've got very expensive medicines that go into Mali on a temperature control basis. And, Mommy, uh, there was a coup in November, which we had to stop product because we were afraid customs wouldn't be operating. And then, of course, here then in May, the coup kind of reoccurred as the military took over leadership, so we had to kind of stop again. In that case, there's really not what you'd call or what you and I would call government. You've got political upheaval, and you've kind of got conflicting governments, and you just got to be very careful in, in operating into the area. Ron Cruz of Logenex International. I want to thank you so much for sharing your long experience in servicing critical and strategic supply chains and how that might apply to our own situation today and to other countries going forward. Thank you so much for being with me today. Bob, I appreciate it. Enjoyed chatting with you about the supply chain challenges around the world. That was my conversation with Ron Cruz of Logenex International talking about how to set up and maintain critical supply chains. We're online at www.supplychainbrain.com, where we post a new episode of this podcast for streaming or downloading every Friday. You can also read my Think Tank blog, watch thousands of videos, and access all of our other content, including the digital edition of our magazine. Look for us on Facebook and LinkedIn, follow us on Twitter at SCBrain, and also watch videos on our YouTube channel. You can also download or subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Got any comments or suggestions on this or any episode? Email me at rbowman at supplychainbrain.com. Stay well and see you next time.